It's amazing to me how many people desire to grow in their walk with God, regardless of where they are in the journey. So they ask for more faith. Many people pray for it. Other people say, if I come to church, maybe I'll just serendipitously get it. However, the scripture is very clear about how we get more faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as Romans chapter 10 verse 17 reminds us. So our prayer for you as you hear this message is that your faith would go from where it is to where God intends it to be. Grow as you hear this word. that are viewing online and those that are here in person uh, what a mighty God we serve and on this 19th anniversary I couldn't help but just kind of go through the years and think about the people that because this church exists have been one to Jesus people that walked in one way and because of the grace of God have walked out a different way closer to Jesus thought about people like Sister Wilhelmina, who was the first mother of our church, who went home to be with the Lord. And I thought about Leota, who came in the building and didn't know us, but troubled life, troubled past. But I remember one time sitting in Wednesday night Bible study, and she came all the time. And she said, Pastor, I've been in church a lot. My mother gave me to Jesus. She would always tell me that. But it was here that I learned how to understand the Bible. And to know that someone is in the presence of Jesus because we exist. And somebody's closer to him because we exist. For that, you all, we ought to be so grateful. Can we just give Jesus praise for that? Come on, somebody. Can we give Jesus praise for that? As pastor, I get an opportunity maybe to see what some of you don't. Uh, I see behind the scenes. I thought about Kizzy and when her family came and she lost her only child, her only son rather. And how this church helped shepherd her through that. And now Kizzy is almost finished with her PhD in theology from Vanderbilt University. Come on, I mean that, you you know. (laughs) The list, the list could go on and on and on and if we had time and each of you could come and stand and in some way share a Citadel story of how because of this ministry your, your life with Christ has gotten better. Maybe you started your life with him. Uh, I had a chance this past Sunday to be at my church in Chicago that I came from, Salem Baptist. Pastor Meeks is retiring and is turned the reins of the church over to a young man that came up through the ministry at Salem and I preached a message called to the nines my story and I talked about the 10 lepers that were healed you know the story and the one that came back to say thank you Jesus said that weren't nine healed but only one has come back he says you listen you've been made whole because of your response to what I did in other words there's some church folk that can say you know what I was healed my life has been changed but without an attitude of gratitude you can be healed and not whole let let me say that again you can receive the blessings of God the miracles of God the grace of God the healing of God 
but only the one that returned to Jesus to say thank you did Jesus declare whole the others were healed and I'm just wondering are there any people here that as you look back over your life and all that Jesus has done for you you have enough sense to just tell him thank you so I just want to sing a chorus of thank you Lord I know it's an old school song but it feels right good and appropriate right through here there's never been a week that we've had to close our doors because nobody was here there's never been a time that God has not provided every need that we've had there's never been a listen y'all there's never been one month that somebody didn't get saved as a result of the ministry of this church and so you all I don't wait to see the next thing to say thank you because I don't know if I got tomorrow I don't know if I've got this afternoon but while breath is in my body and while I got a chance I just want to lift up a thank you to him is there anybody else that's willing to give God a thank you with me let's just worship the Lord together as we declare thank you Lord come on let's sing it together as an anthem as a praise hallelujah this 19th anniversary we pause as a church family to say thank you for every mountain thank you for every valley God thank you for every soul that has been one to you thank you for every life that has been redeemed from the hand of the enemy thank you Jesus for healings and for deliverances thank you for minds that have been regulated thank you so God we pray that your heart is pleased by this band of believers called the Citadel of Faith family and the same grace that you've extended to us for 19 years we pray God that you will continue if you tarry to extend your grace again we honor God and we bless you we dare not have this milestone without pausing to say thank you and it's in the name above every name that we pray in the name of Jesus everyone that agreed with that said amen and amen come on give the Lord praise one more time hallelujah tell somebody next to you happy anniversary as you take a seat amen 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 hallelujah you all uh, this year we have emphasized soul winning and many of you have heard the term soul winning and Proverbs chapter 11 verse 30 just says these words and I want to read it from the King James it says uh, he who winneth souls is wise uh, he that wins souls is wise and so you all to win someone's soul means that you have to know what the soul of a person is right to win them what, what, what is the soul well the soul comprises three parts the mind the intellect the emotions the feelings and then the decision-making ability or the will right so to, you can't win a person's will that's something that only they can control but how a person thinks how a person feels determines the decisions that they make so to win a person to Jesus to 
win a person to God, you got to find out how are they thinking? What are they feeling? And then how can we meet them where they are by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, and maybe prayerfully help their decision or their will to be turned over to Jesus? Well, you all, that is a huge task. And for many times, many churches will say, and I used to say it, I knocked on the door, I asked somebody, if you die right now, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? And most people, after they got through drinking last night and sleeping with everybody, no, man, I'm not sure. I said, do you want to be sure? They said, yes, I want to be sure. And I pray with them. And I would say, you know what? Praise God. I just won their soul. Now, some people, God can do it that way. But I believe that the deepest conversions, the most lasting conversions, are those that are approached with prayer, fasting, and with the measure of wisdom. He that wins somebody's mind, emotion, and determine how their will will be uh, fleshed out, that person's wise. And so this year, you all, we have done several things to dig into that, one of which, not the only, but one of which is to introduce what we call voices. These are individuals, these are people in which we have done uh, interviews with who are uh, maybe not the type of people that go to church, people that are not really a part of the church. And people have asked me the question, why would you put sermon time as an interview or sermon time to hear these people or these voices? The reason for that is this. You all, Citadel, you know what we believe about the issues. Whatever the issues of the day are, you know we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is our answer of what is right and wrong. Uh, so there's no gray area for us on that. Uh, however, we know what the Bible says, but we often don't know what people think about the Bible that we believe. Let me say that again. We know what the Bible says, but we don't know what different people feel about the church, what different people feel about the Bible. And how can we reach people? How can we win people? How can we be fishers of men and women? And we don't know the type of fish we're trying to catch. So one great way to do that is to introduce different people who have different perspectives and different views than us and learn from them and figure out ways in which we can reach them. Uh, I had an opportunity to meet this young man that you're getting ready to hear in this interview uh, at one of our denominational camps, uh, Portage Lake Bible Camp. Uh, and this young man is incredibly intelligent, incredibly uh, brilliant in my opinion. Uh, out of all the interviews that I've done, I actually consider this to be one of the best that I was able to be a part of. And uh, Paul is a lover of Jesus Christ, but is not necessarily a lover of the church. Do you know that people can love God and love Jesus and not love the church? Uh, it was Gandhi, you all, Gandhi, who is a, um, a, a great figure that was over in India. And Gandhi said, uh, he said, you know, your Jesus I could possibly want to know. Uh, but it's only Christians that are making me not necessarily want to know him. <laughs> so even Gandhi had a desire to maybe know more about the Christian faith until he met Christians. <laughs> and the church folk can mess up a lot of that. So you all, I want you to hear uh, and, and listen, as you hear these voices, I want you in your mind to say, what would I say to him? What would I say to people who think like him? What, I, what is my response to what he's saying? Some of the things that you will hear, you all, will rub you the wrong way. Good. 
Some of the things that you hear will make you ask a question in your mind. Good. My prayer is that these voices would help us realize that these people represent thousands of people around the world who view life differently than us. And so you all, without any further ado, let's now turn our attention to this interview with Paul Olivia. Citadel of Faith, I am so excited, so honored to have this opportunity to be uh, engaged in another Other Voices series. And for many of you know, uh, our church has always been committed to the scriptures and to doing what God calls us to do. That's not in some rigid way that doesn't allow space to hear from other people. It may not align with what you feel, what we feel, what we think. Uh, you know why? Because we share the plan with people that are just like us. Uh, and if God calls us to be fishers of men and uh, to be light in this world, how can we be light in the world when we don't even know the world around us? And so I'm so excited today to have a brother that I've come to know and to meet. Uh, and so this interview and this time will just be me asking some questions uh, kind of around this issue of how does a person who loves Jesus but has been traumatized and has had incredibly negative experiences with the organized church uh, continue to move forward? In a, in a world that almost in tandem connects Christianity with church engagement and involvement. So, Paul, thank you so much for this opportunity, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And so, uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about your journey of faith uh, in, in Jesus. How did that happen? What what led to the Christ? How did, how did, that, how did that happen? Yeah, so um, I grew up in the church. Um, my family are lifelong covenanters. My granddad was a pastor in the church. Um, and yeah, so I grew up going to two churches. Um, I went to Edgebrook Cove, uh, in Edgebrook, Illinois for Sunday service and Northwest Covenant in, uh, Mount Prospect, Illinois for a uh, youth group. Um, and so growing up, I, I always had that sense of, you know, identity, but not knowledge or like genuine belief until I was about um, probably 15 or 16 um, when just seeing, seeing uh, the love of Christ through um, certain people within my community and other people around me um, and just doing some individual um, scripture study. Um, I came to really like, to me, understand who Jesus is um, and so I, I think he's a great dude. I love his teachings. Um, and yeah, I've just, I've always had since then a, a strong sense of faith in Christ and, uh, everything he lived and died for and came back for. So, so it seems like you were one of those people, like many people who are probably listening to this, who grew up in the church, uh, but it just became personal to you when you became a teenager. You mm -hmm. personally engage scripture and some of these other things. So, you know, the reason that you're sitting here is because obviously something happened along the way. This is also something happened along the way. So <laughs> yep. something happened along the way that caused uh, your view of the church, your engagement with the church, your uh, idea of church to shift. Mm -hmm. uh, and it may have been several things. Share with us like what, what, what happened with you not with you and Jesus. And, and listen, I, mean, I don't want to assume this. Did anything happen with you and Jesus? I mean, are you and him tight? Or have you, are you and him on good terms still? 
Yeah, I think me and Jesus are are, are chilling still. Okay. Um, yeah. But something happened with you in the church. Unpack that. Yeah. So, um, within youth group, within conversations with my granddad, my my mom, and my dad, and just uh, my fellow uh, believers, we um, had a lot of conversation about mainly revolving around Christ's love, because that's ultimately what I believe Christ came for, with humility, humility, grace, and love. Um, and when I was just getting into, like, the huge, like, hallelujah moments of my faith, when I was 15, 16, lots of heavy politicization of religion and faith and just hearing a lot of rhetoric that was antithetical to what I was raised to believe, um, with what my, um, like actions were speaking for. Um, and so it, it hurt to see people who affiliated themselves with the same, um, Jesus as I did saying things that didn't make sense and just felt totally hateful, really bigoted, um, revolving around, um, immigrants, people of color, queer people, just genuine, gen- general, just human rights and ideas on the human condition. What happened to those people who were the love of Christ and saw the love of the news, and then all of a sudden they're perceived this heightened rhetoric? I mean, what do you think in that drove them to that? Were they always that way, or maybe just weren't saying it? They were always bigoted? They always didn't like the other? They always and they just didn't say it or were there some things that you just started seeing that you're like man where's this coming from was it always there or do you feel like it almost kind of just began yeah I think it might have been a little more implicit and then okay. uh, the increased in polarization around the political spectrum in this country um, allowed for people to be a lot more explicit in, in their bigotry so and it was already there I think yeah I think the 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 new climate, the heightened climate, um, allowed for more explicit um, showings of bigotry. Um, and I think that stems from um, lack of understanding of uh, the people who are being affected, either systemically or um, socioeconomically. Um, and I think that it also just has to do with, at least to me, um, the affiliation with the church and political control. Cause from, so for context, y'all, I'm a political science major. Um, so looking at the history of American politics and the church's history and how it intertwines with it, um, oftentimes what I've seen is that religion, in this case, Christianity, has been used as a justification for systemic oppression or uh, just general bigoted attitudes towards people that you don't that we don't understand and that we don't seek to understand. Um, and so, uh, hearing that and like experiencing experiencing that um, as an early teenager. Just rock the world. Some, I mean, without names or whatever, was there some particular like name? Like, you know what, this is it. I mean, was there something that a church said? Is there something that uh, maybe 
happen that just made you just say, you know what, this is the cabinet, this is the straw that's for the cabinet. Like, I, I just, I, I mean, and, and, and you don't feel comfortable because No, yeah, that's, I'm, no, I'm chill with it. Um, yeah, when I was about 18 years old, um, the first Covenant Church in Minnesota happened, uh, where they officiated a, uh, LGBTQ, uh, wedding and the Covenant responded by, um, casting out that church. Um, and being raised in an environment where all I heard was about how loving Christ is and how we are to be loving to everyone and show grace to everyone. And from my personal biases and the environments I was raised in, I was raised to believe that homosexuality is not a sin and that it's a, a trait that is given by God. Um, and so seeing all of that unravel and attending meetings at my churches voicing my opinions and ultimately feeling ignored and looked down upon because I was a young kid and it wasn't in line with what the covenant believed. Um, seeing that really disillusioned me to like believing, Oh, we're all just one big happy family. Like, yes, families fight, but this, this felt worse. For those who don't know, uh, you know, Citadel is a part of the Evangelical Church, so a part of uh, our denomination's uh, creed and kind of uh, agreement as a pastor is when I even become a pastor, I decide to take a word about this and I And if I do something outside of that, uh, then I agree that the denomination has a right to kind of have that happen. Uh, so that's the context for those who don't understand. But for you, you're saying when it came time to even having dialogue or Pushback or any of that, you just feel just kind of like, look, just no, not only have you made our decision, but because you're young, uh, your voice just, just it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you, you kind of can understand that, okay, I get it, you made your decision, but would you be open to hear my my view or, or my expression about why, you know, I don't feel like that's the, the right thing. Mm-hmm. You feel like that was just completely discounted. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it's because oftentimes I think because church rhetoric is more focused on um, general group consensus, um, you know, we often hear from, you know, congregants, they're just repeating what their pastor is saying. Um, and for me, I hardly spoke to people um, mainly throughout college now. Um, who were not doing Bible study outside of church, and they were only repeating what our pastor was saying. And so, yeah, 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 they'll just repeat it. And I think it's it's a cult of personality, and I think it's something that inhibits people's ability to, excuse me, <laughs> to develop their own personal identity in Christ outside of church because the church does not equal Christ. I think the church is a great place uh, or has the potential to be a great place where people can gather under the identity of Christ, but the lack of personal interpretation being discussed among congregants is 
ultimately what leads to a sense of groupthink and repeated dialogues just over and over and over again. So, um, the organized church is, is more than just a local, you know, a church like, like our local church, mm-hmm. but it's just basically the systems uh, of church governance, church, um, in our context with the denominations. So, this stance and other stances that you mentioned, whether it be bigotry, whether it be um, people's view of immigrants, people's view of, you know, LGBTQ plus issues, those things for you made you feel as though being a part, not just of the local church, but really the wider organized mm-hmm. religious church was not for you. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like when Hebrews 10.25 says, you know, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together with other believers. How does that, and again, and I, 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 I don't want to make an assumption, because I don't want to just again just start throwing scriptures out. You might be like, well, I interpret that differently mm-hmm. than maybe you do. So how do you see or interpret that type of response? And someone would say to you, okay, you don't like something. Um, it's almost like a marriage, right? Uh, a person has a indiscretion. A person has a view uh, something that is really against what you feel. Do you divorce uh, over that? Do you just say, I'm done with you uh, because I no longer feel like you're in alignment with me? Or do you figure out another way? So how, how do you wrestle with the, you know, the, the scripture that says, hey, don't forsake that coming together with people? Um, because that's, that's what, you know, how do you wrestle with that? How do you, how do you jive with that? Um, I don't think it's, uh, for me, I don't think I forsake the physical gathering of people. Okay. Um, what does that look I, like for you? What does that look like as far as gathering? Just a bunch of people chilling, discussing the word. I think, I think church best works when it's, um, multiple people giving input. Um, because I think, and this is no, like, to none of your fault or your, or anything like that. Yeah. I, I think that if allowing for a singular figure to just say all of it leads to a lack of discourse within that heavily um, emotional or uh, spiritual moments. Um, and I think it's fine to have a leader within that, but I think the lack of discourse within church is, yeah, it's the group thing. So I think, to me, church looks like just Bible study all the time where y'all collectively read something and then you just talk about it as a group. Develop the ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. So, and again, that's how kind of early church was, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't like calling themselves the first church of uh, Jerusalem, right? So, so here's the question though. So somebody is listening and they're pushing back in their heads saying, okay, so I'm in a group and everybody has their own truth, right? Everybody mm-hmm. has this view of scripture, that view of scripture, the other view of scripture, the other view. So where does anyone ever land on what is truth? Where does anyone ever land on what may be considered, okay, what is the will of God about this? I mean, how does that, how does that 
and, and, and there may not be there may not be an answer to that. It may be something we don't ever know. I don't know. But in your opinion, I know that those who have their opinion have an answer to that. But in your mind, what does that look like when you've got a lot of different voices in that context? Having Bible study, someone says, I see it this way. I see it that way. I see it that way. And there's genuine leaning into that. Um, how do you ever land on, okay, this is what that is? Or do you? Um, I think it's really hard to determine. I think, you know, sometimes you just have to go, okay, let's agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. But in other instances, if we have two different interpretations, mm -hmm. we can keep talking and talking and talking and talking, mm -hmm. try to develop the ideas better. And maybe even with the input of a third party or a fourth party could sway, oh, I didn't think about it from that angle before. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's less so about deciding who's more right, whose truth is more right. And it's more about deciding a almost a collective idea of what is what you believe this truth to be. And I don't see that as the same as groupthink. I think groupthink is you take the rhetoric of one or two people, usually one person, mm -hmm. and that's what your belief is. That's what yeah. your interpretation yeah. then becomes. Yeah. If you allow people to develop their own interpretations and then have discourse over it, it can develop their interpretations. Mm -hmm. It could alter it. It mm -hmm. could completely sway someone from one side to the other mm -hmm. in terms of what the interpretation is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's less so groupthink and more so a like a bipartisan discourse on so Paul, what you, truth is. Do you feel as though some pastors would be terrified to have this conversation? Yes. <laughs> do you feel like some churches would just be beside themselves to even allow this space? <laughs> yes. So, you, so we, before we began, you actually said something about this discourse mm -hmm. that made you, you know, say, wow, this is different. What is it even about just this exchange that for you is like, this is refreshing for me. What 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 is it about this? It's the lack of pride, man. Hmm, it's the lack. That. It's the lack that. of pride. So, when examining, um, just like how people interpret the Bible or how the church acts in regards to certain things, whether it be social issues or other political issues, mm -hmm. I think the the pride shines through, um, and I think sometimes at least for me, a lot of the time the church acts in ways that is prideful. Um, even though Christ was here with grace and humility. And I think the reason why people get so, you know, angry and upset at pushback or different ideas being thrown in their way, if it's just something totally not within what their interpretations are, I think the reason we respond in anger and confusion is because we're too prideful. I think we need to humble ourselves, um, whether it be through discourse or through grand revelations or something about um, just like study through the scripture and just community with each other. Um, you know, I think that taking pride out of the equation allows for us to try to be, to attempt to be more in tune with the humility that Christ showed us. Yeah. You mentioned, um, again, at one point off, off camera before we begin this, that you are 
deconstructing some things that you are um, that you, you know your life and your upbringing, your training as a you know you mentioned as a kid, you know you just raised up in the church. So the construct of church, the construct of religion, of everything that you know, was packaged already and just given to you as a as a gift and a package. Mm-hmm. And so now, at, at because of what you've gone through, you've even used words like trauma and. So you are now deconstructing some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you said that decon, and, and some people that hear that word, they're like, oh, there he is. He's a mm-hmm. deconstructor. But you also added that you are also wanting to reconstruct. Mm-hmm. So explain a little bit about this process of deconstruction and restructure, because I think a lot of uh, reconstruct, because a lot of, a lot of people are in that space about a lot of things. Um, and for some people, again, in America in particular, they view the term deconstructing as just this evil term, uh, deconstructing um, government or deconstructing um, religion or deconstructing church. They're like, I oh, see they're, they're 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 you know, so some people don't even listen mm-hmm. enough to know what that means. So explain in your opinion what your personal view of deconstructing, uh, maybe even faith, uh, not in not in Jesus, but maybe even just just questioning things, what that looks like, and what does the idea of reconstructing look like? Yeah, so I guess I'll start where my my deconstruction really Mm -hmm. started. It started back during those days of heavy, like, polarization. Mm -hmm. Um, That really affected you. It it really did, Mm because being raised to just love on everyone and try to be as humble as possible, obviously... I fell short a lot and all that, but you know, it's about the effort and seeing people within systems of power use God and Jesus as a way to justify, um, like just policy that I just don't see how that's the love of Christ. Like, the whole rhetoric, for example, surrounding Roe v. Wade, I, I'm in the camp that it shouldn't be overturned because I think the right to like bodily autonomy is a right ordained through the Lord. I think the Lord gave us free will to make decisions and to live with those decisions. And I think using our faith to restrict other people from their rights is bad <laughs> um to put it simply mm-hmm. it's bad and i think that especially for people who are of non believers yeah, right people non christian people people, right. people that that don't share the yeah. same you know experiences and the same faith as us so if i'm an american citizen paying taxes yeah and i'm not a believer in jesus but the believers in jesus are developing policies to make me submit to their Christian view, mm-hmm. then I am like paying taxes to a system mm-hmm. that is against my view. Yeah, all in, all in favor of someone else's religious ideology that's controlling. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think you shepherd genuine faith through religious dominion. Yeah. I don't think that's how it works. Say that again. I I, like that. I don't think you shepherd true faith through religious dominion over the people that need the extra guidance, that need the access to what they already believe in, but to also go through that walk with Christ. Um, and so my deconstruction started there. 
um, seeing the church support policies and politicians that um, I just didn't agree with mm. and seeing policies wanting like being voted on that would restrict people's rights. Mm. And some of those policies affect me. Mm. Um, mm. Like I'm going to be real right now. Good. I am a queer man. Okay. And seeing the people that claim they love me, supporting policies that would oppress me through the claims of faith and through God, it hurts because it doesn't feel like I'm being loved on. It feels like because I don't fit in the box that the church has carved out for what a Christian should be, feels like I'm being punished for that, for things that are out of my control. So, you know, when, when, so let let me, let me lean into the reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I could get, definitely get why you could say, okay, let me go down the list of the things that these people that are controlling things and running things are doing to restrict. Mm -hmm. But as you now turn the corner to say, okay, this is what I believe about Jesus. This is what I believe about the word. And I want to now construct something. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What does that look like for those who are listening mm-hmm. who would say, you know what, man, I am, I'm, I'm tracking with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just feel like that would be my story. And I, I don't, I, I'm not an anti Jesus person, but I do feel like organized. But what does it look like to construct something? What does that look like? Yeah. If someone wants to figure that out. So for me right now, it's going through the process of deconstructing the, the, the rhetoric that has negatively impacted how I view myself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And just the people around me, mm-hmm. right? With the goal, with the intent to eventually reconstruct and not be in those same, like those same, I guess we'll say beliefs, mm-hmm. but to still share a faith in God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still faithful in, in Jesus and I love Jesus so much and you know, I think that reconstruction looks like a more inclusive church, okay. a church that's more open to discourse, more open to the people that need God's love, mm-hmm. more open to the people that have been neglected by the church and by just general human yeah. society. Yeah. Um, the church shines brightest when it acts as a resource for the broken. And... Currently, it doesn't feel like that. It feels more like a country club, like a social club. So let me, so let me, let me, let me, you know, because I'm, 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 I'm wearing all kind of hats, right? Yeah, so yeah. I'm wearing the hat of the, the impartial interviewee, interviewer who just really is saying, let's listen. But let me, let me, let me ask you this question for the mm-hmm. person who says, okay, you know what? You're uncomfortable with something mm-hmm. that the word of God says. Mm-hmm. So now you're just going to, uh, Say, I don't like that. I, I want to cherry pick that out or I interpret that a certain way. So, cause it doesn't make me feel comfortable. So I, I'm going to put that aside and construct something else out of that. How, what would you say to those people who would say that that process of deconstruction or that process of, 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 of saying, I don't, I don't feel like this is something that God would say. I mean, how many things can you deconstruct? Is everybody allowed to do that? 
uh, is there is there any truth? Uh, you know, I think uh, that was uh, Pilate's question to Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what is truth? Uh, so, is there any such thing as absolute truth? I don't know. Okay, and that's I fair. don't think I'm that's fair. the person to ask or give an answer to. That is fair. That's so. Fair. Um, I think absolute truth is something that we are constantly searching for. That's um, fair. That's and fair. I think the process of deconstruction and reconstruction allows us to gauge different understandings of what could be truth hmm. and what we could agree to be truth. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. And so it's less so about, like for me, it's like I could cherry pick a thousand Bible verses right. to justify, Whatever. you know, stupid things. Yep, yep. Um, but I'm not going to because that's not how it's intended. Um, I think that even if we disagree on different ideas, disagreeing on fundamental human identity and human rights is something where it's really hard for me to just look past and go, yeah, I still love you though. Because it's hard to show grace and love to someone that doesn't show it to me or other people like me or just people who have experienced similar, if not worse, um, like treatment. I try not to, I try not in these interviews, Citadel and listeners to insert my two cents because I feel like, you know, that's not the purpose. But let me just say this for those who, and I, I know that some people are just freaking out. All right. And that's the joy of this for me is this whole series is intended for you to freak out. It really is. Uh, but, 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 but lest you devalue things you're hearing, let me just say this. And again, I don't, I, I'm not weighing in. Either way, on in these interviews, I'm just here to listen and learn. I, I'm not here to fix. I'm not here to mm-hmm. solve. I'm I'm here literally to learn. I'm literally here to say, let me listen. But for many that don't understand this, the Christian Church in the United States, uh, as it pertains to my people as African Americans, literally built a, a theological system around the institution and the preserving of slavery as a right. They just did. And so for those who feel as though this guy is so sideways and so crazy and so out of whack, I, I in, in, in subsequent messages, uh, I will give you uh, messages, sermons, uh, schools uh, that were training ministers in the early part of our country that literally built theological systems with biblical backing as to why people that look like me were not human, where people like me were justified to be slaves. So, mm-hmm. and for you, you, you're a political studies, uh, uh, major. And so you, you totally like, okay, I've read that stuff too. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why I'm saying, Hey, <laughs> these are not these pious people who just get it because I know that not only did they do that to black people, they're doing that now again to other people. Mm-hmm. That, would that, would that be fair? Yeah. That's very fair. Yeah. 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 I think that. It's it's always like me just preposterous to say, you know, um, you know, don't bring your politics into religion when religion has been used to justify different political actions and everything like that throughout since the founding of this country. Like you just said, with the institution of slavery and other just institutions of oppression against other minorities and people of color and uh, like queer folk and women and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody that wasn't the rich, land-owning white man. Yeah. yeah. And we've had to fight for that yeah. through different 
methods and different eras of of pushback to eventually find some semblance of equal treatment. Yeah. Like it's not there yet. Correct. But more um, is on the way, right? Yeah, hopefully. Well, <laughs> well, Paul, as we head to this last question, let me just first uh, finally just say thank you mm-hmm. um, for. First of all, just the willingness to do this, but really the courage, mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm willing to, to talk about where I am in my journey. I'm willing to be, um, uh, transparent about <coughs> my love for Christ. Uh, but at the same time, uh, my deep, deep concern for organized religion. Mm-hmm. And you represent, I would say, I was going to say, thousands, but I think millions of people uh, mm-hmm. globally right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church globally is drastically declining. Mm-hmm. And uh, and people will end up having all kinds of reasons of why they're saying people need to turn to God, um, but they're not listening enough mm-hmm. to learn why they're turning away from the church uh, and maybe not turning away from God. Yep. Uh, and, and so, thank you for that. You yeah, know, of course. Yeah. I'm True. It's truly my honor to be here. Um, just chatting with you about this stuff. Um, and you know, I think that <laughs> it's, it's really intriguing to me, just these, these discourses and the lack of pride in, in these, in these conversations. Um, and you know, we can try to find middle ground. I think that's the best that people can do. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which segues to my last question. Yeah. You, and this will be our send off. Uh, and I ask this for every interview that I've done. What would you say, and you're doing it now, to the church, and not, this is not Citadel, but to the church. Here's, mm-hmm. here's an opportunity. You're, you're on the internet. What would you say to the church to reach, re-engage someone like you? What is your message in a, in a, in a, in a concise nutshell to the church mm-hmm. to say, you know what? The reason why I'm the church, I told you it, but this is what I want to say to the church of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. to reach somebody like Paul. Yeah. So for people like me, the reason we stepped away from the church is not from the lack of love for Christ, but I think to me realizing that the church doesn't represent Christ to us anymore. Um, and that I have found that my personal faith has grown a lot since stepping away and engaging with people that both share similar experiences with me and people that don't, um, but still welcome the pushback, the new ideas with open arms like yourself. And that's what I appreciate the most. So my message to the church is, Lead with love and lead with the intent of understanding people that you just simply don't. And I think that's a good place to start. I don't have a grand picture of what a a new reconstructed church looks like, but I think it starts at understanding each other and moving away from groupthink and institutions of agreeing on singular ideas. Um, Because while I think the Bible has a lot of singular truths and ideas, Mm -hmm. 
how we apply it over 2000 years later with so many developments so socially economically all this stuff seeing how the world has developed it's hard to apply truths from over 2000 years ago to the modern day and i think that's where the discourse comes in and i think that's where the leading with understanding and the lack of ill intent towards new ideas like like obviously there can be ideas where it's like what are you saying you know what that doesn't make any sense um but um i think that allowing for these ideas to be voiced and to try to be understood can lead to a more inclusive environment to people that that need to feel that love yeah Paul, thank you. That's all I can say, man. I, I, I'm better, honestly, because of this conversation, man. I mean, I really mean that. Yeah, me too. And my prayer is, uh, and I just want to say to those of you that are listening, uh, let this type of dialogue serve as a template for you. I'm serious. I uh, don't just hear this, this, these messages and say, oh, that's really great that Citadel is doing a new kind of way of communicating. That's not the intent for me. My intent is that you would take this format and apply it at Thanksgiving, apply it at dinner time, apply it uh, at school, apply it at your job, apply it uh, everywhere we go so that we're learning to listen. All right. I mean, authentically listen, not to change, not to fix, not to get ready to say our point, but to hear. Because here's a human being that we share the world with who some things he said have ruffled your feathers and made you feel very uncomfortable. And you know what? Good. Because you know what? He's on the planet. He's not leaving. And our question is, what would Jesus do to engage with Paul? And what would you do to engage with him? So once again, Paul, thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited about uh, the future of our world with people like you that are intelligent thoughtful, spirit-led, and let me just say to you that for everyone that feels as though you are not a a follower of Jesus and you are not a child of God because you do not fit in their box, thank you for the courage that you are taking to swim upstream, bro. God bless you. God bless you too, man. Hallelujah. Can we give God praise? Listen, you all, I I have been in ministry since 1986, and one thing I know is that for many church people, this is completely different. This is a a different uh, way of worship, a different way of engaging. My prayer, Citadel, but when we started our church, the name Citadel means a city on top of a hill uh, that can't be hidden. It's a place where the the weapons are kept in a, uh, a ship. A citadel means a fortress. And the only way that we're going to be able to speak to the issues of the day is for us to learn and hear the people that are around us. Right now in your family, there are people, I'm talking about your immediate family, who do not feel about Jesus the way that you feel about Jesus. Come on, am I right about that? 
there are people in your immediate family that will never step foot in a church because of what the church means to them. And if we're not careful, you all, we'll sit back and wonder, why don't people go to church anymore? Why are people not following Jesus anymore? And the reason why we're not able to help them know him is because we're not even taking time to listen to them. And so you all, my prayer is that you would take the template of these interviews to not go into conversations with people that are different to change them, not to go into conversations with people that are different from you to fix them, but to listen and to learn. I took three pages of notes again from this interview because as much as I didn't agree with everything I heard, there were some things that that young man said that were powerful. And if we would be smart enough to listen, maybe God could use us to get some wisdom to help win souls to Jesus. Let's give God praise in the house. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every head bowed, every eye closed. Those that are watching online, I know that for many of you, you may have been looking at this uh, message today and wondering, what is that all about? Let me tell you what it's about. It's about someone who loves Jesus but doesn't necessarily love the church. Someone who's trying to figure out their way. And you know what? That's all of us. None of us were born knowing the ways of God. Jesus told us, as a matter of fact, he told Nicodemus when Nicodemus said, how can I uh, enter the kingdom of heaven? How can I understand these spiritual things? Jesus said to this smart guy, Nicodemus, don't, don't be surprised. You have to be born again. You have to be born of the spirit to understand things of the spirit. And if you're listening right now, and you're not a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? I'm not, I'm not talking about going to a church. If you've never surrendered your life, your will to God through Jesus Christ, now is the time to do that. Pastor, how do I do that? How do I accept Jesus into my life? The Bible says if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, and you can be a Christian. One of the great things about having heard what you just had a chance to experience is that your faith has gotten stronger. There's no way that you could have heard this message and your faith has not been increased. But where do we go? How do we move from faith to faith? The Bible is very clear that if you have not really made the greatest decision of your life, which is to become a Christian, you've really missed the great joy of the journey. So wherever you are, if you would like to have a personal relationship with Christ, do what the scripture says. Call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I receive you now as my Savior and as my Lord. I'm trusting you and only you to direct my life in Jesus' name. Congratulations, wherever you are, that means that you have become a believer. For those of you that are already believers, your faith is now stronger. Don't be merely a hearer, but be a doer, and let's change the world. If you just prayed that prayer, you have an opportunity to reach out to us and we would be honored to serve you and help you in your journey. Uh, please contact us at area code 313-871-FORT or please visit us on our website, citadeloffaith.org. That's simply spelled C-I-T. 
A-D-E-L, of faith. Dot org, all one word. We would love to hear your testimonies. We would love to hear your prayer requests. Know that you're in a partnership with us and you're not in the journey alone. Let's change the world together, one person at a time.